Welcome to the world of unsexy. From scrap metal to timber, estate planning to freight pooling, this show is a meandering exploration of just how sexy unsexy industries can be. I'm your host, Elaine Zelby, investor at SignalFire and eternally curious human being. In this podcast, we'll peel back the layers of niche and esoteric markets, understanding the history and looking at the future through the eyes of the pioneering entrepreneurs willing to bring technology and exponential improvements to these often overlooked spaces. Join me on a fascinating journey into the unsexy. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Gavin Nakbar, co-founder of Column Tax, a company whose mission is to democratize access to tax and financial advice to improve people's lives. Thanks so much for joining today, Gavin. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I am particularly excited to chat to you today because this is a subject that I feel like I've been an idiot on my entire life as an adult. And I feel like I'm a relatively intelligent, highly educated, privileged person, yet I still can't figure it out. And I literally can't figure out TurboTax. So I would imagine the, the vast majority of the population cannot. So, you know, you also come from more of a traditional tech background like myself. How did you first get interested in the tax world? You're, well, first, you're not alone in that feeling. We, we hear that often from individuals in this country. And so when that was one of the things that drew, drew us to this space. So yeah, I've worked in, in tech my, my whole career. And tax, I feel like you made this podcast for, uh, for tax. It's the definition of an unsexy industry. But for us, we, we got really excited about the fact that tax was, it was universal in that every person in this country has a different tax problem. So individuals who um, individuals have large investments have very different tax problems than people who live paycheck to paycheck. And so we got excited about the array of problems and the ways that you could solve them. So I guess we were drawn to it by the similar things that you've struggled with in your life and that we find most people in this country struggle with in one way, shape, or form. Do you have a sense of how our tax system in the U.S. got so complex? Was it always this way when it was first created, or has it evolved over time? It has definitely evolved over time. And right now, yeah, the the U.S. tax system, so specifically the income tax system, is the result of a a number of different uh, legislative initiatives over time that has now formed what is the full income tax system. And in most people would agree, I think, that the income tax system is overly complex. Um, you know, people at the IRS down to individuals in the country. But it's also reflective of a very complicated financial system, too, in the way that different assets have evolved. So the short answer to your question is, yes, it is more complicated now than it used to be in the past. And also the nature of how we make income in the country has changed. Freelancers, gig workers as, is a good example of a new, a very new class of individuals uh, or growing class of people who make different types of income. So it's both the evolution of how we treat different types of income in this country, carve-outs for specific uh, credits, deductions, et cetera, um, and then, yeah, more complicated systems, financial systems over time. Are there specific carve-outs or, or treatments for freelancers and gig workers? The one that I, we spend a lot of time thinking about at Column Tax, it's, it's a general area, but it's just deductions. So for 
Um, I've actually never worked as a freelancer. So I've, I've learned this in, in the last year and a half as we were working on Column. I've always received W-2s. Um, I've always received a paycheck for my jobs. For individuals that work for, let's say, Uber or Lyft, um, it's a different type of tax treatment for 1099s. So if, you receive, if you're an independent contractor, you would receive a 1099 at the end of the year. And one of the deductions, you, there's a number of types of deductions that you can take pre-tax. So you get to expense the gas, for example, um, that you would, uh, the expenses that go towards operating your independent business, uh, which in that case would be considered a ride-hailing business. And so if you are fortunate enough to afford an accountant in this country, then that individual will tell you, hey, you can deduct expenses. If you don't, you're kind of on your own to go figure out what is this new tax law that applies to me? And in fairness, most people aren't aware or don't do it, which I think is, shouldn't be an individual burden. I actually think services should help you with this. So Lance is a great example of an app that does this for you. They'll issue you a debit card and help you find deductions uh, year round. That, that's the way that we think the world should be. So I actually think it's less about like that the tax law in that case and more about the awareness of the tax law if you can't afford an accountant to tell you about it. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, especially just it should definitely not be the burden of the individual to keep up with new changes every year in the tax code. (laughs) One question I've always had about our tax system is you have federal taxes and then you have state taxes and state income taxes obviously vary. Some states have no income tax. So how did it happen that states get to choose and how variable is it across states? It incredibly variable is the the second part of your answer. I'm actually not familiar with how the law evolved originally, but now it's largely driven by the different services and the different ways that come or, or states receive revenues. So you know you have sales tax, you have income tax. There's different ways that states uh, receive revenues. I actually am not sure how the original laws started and how they differentiated between states. So great question. I hope I hope a listener can actually tell me what the origination was. Also, I feel like this would be such a hilarious, I mean, bad for a lot of people, but also hilarious if one of the states that has no state income tax that's been driving a ton of people because of that, all of a sudden was like, ha ha, now we're going to charge you. I know. It's like a, it's like an upsell. They, uh, or I, I guess, I don't know if it's a downsell, but right, they it's they freemium. can change those laws at any point. Yeah, it's premium model, right? Move to uh, move to Florida for the uh, the no taxes. Just kidding. We would like to increase revenues. We're going to introduce an income tax. Um, that is definitely uh, strictly possible. <laughs> and I mean, they could do it. And I would imagine most people would probably not just pick up and move. Right. There's a pretty big cost of moving. So um, that's right. And I think... What you see now is a really wide spectrum within the country, both in terms of state and municipal laws when it comes to taxation, income tax specifically. And that is definitely a factor in where people choose to live and how services get delivered within states. So it's really important. Um, It also means as (laughs) as a tax company, we have to be very familiar with many different states and how those laws work, which is actually a huge burden for the companies that operate in, in this country. It's why there's so many, um, why there's, sorry, there's so few tax companies because you have to have such a large team managing that. Well, and I've even seen within our portfolio and friends who are founders that as you start hiring, uh, you know, you mentioned to me before that you're a remote first company. And when you hire people in all these different states, now you have the burden of dealing with that in every single yes. state where you have an employee. 
Yes. Payroll taxes gets its own bucket of complexity. Yeah, 100%. So you dove very deep in the space. What are some of the most backwards things you've seen that are in our current tax code? Oh, that's a great question. I think the... What are some fun ones? Uh, Olympic medals are treated as a different type of income, like Olympic earnings um, <laughs> has its own section. That's always a fun one. The The way a W-2 operates is actually really fascinating. Just like it is, there's a number of sections like box 12, uh, box 13, like a couple of the boxes on W-2s are, are really interesting and then how they relate to other tax sections. The, the tax code ends up being like a, a very large uh, knitting or stitching of different forms. So sometimes the connections between forms end up being really interesting. I actually think one we wrote about recently that comes to mind is the earned income tax credit, which is one of the largest uh, credits in the country. The qualification requirements or like your level of understanding to understand whether or not you qualify is really complicated, specifically around with like dependents and whether or not somebody qualifies as a dependent and whether you can claim them. So that's another one to me that's like super backwards. It should be really easy for people to know whether or not they qualify for a credit. Um, you should understand intuitively. And what happens is you, you add the credit and then you add more and more restrictions based on edge cases you find when people claim the credit. And then you end up with 45 pages of IRS instructions around the credit. And that's no longer friendly for, for individuals. So that one is, I think, very challenging. And probably written in legalese. I remember. Um, yes. I had this. I used to try to do my own taxes in TurboTax, and I was reading the same thing over and over. And I'm like, I just don't get it. But I had an issue where um, startup equity in a company that I had exercised mm -hmm. went to zero, and the treatment of that um, was one form that required you to fill out another form that required you to fill out another form, and it just became this <laughs> recursive circle. Yes. And I got to the point, and I was like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> You're in an infinite loop of uh, of tax forms. Yeah, exactly. RSUs, ISOs, ENSOs, very difficult tax treatment. Um, that's that's not our key focus at Column Tax. We're really focused on uh, folks that live paycheck to paycheck and, and low-income earners in the country. And so it's funny, we talked about this at the, at the front. Every group in this country has a different set of tax problems and questions. And so ISOs, ENSOs, RSUs, like that's a whole other bucket that... I think there's amazing potential for, for delivering on. Within the target demographic that you're going after, is there like one or two obvious things that people should be doing that they're not every year in their taxes? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I'll put it into two buckets. So there's there's a couple groups we really focus on building building solutions for our calm tax. The first is folks who receive the earned income tax credit and, and large child tax credit often with that. And the second do, is... Do you want to actually walk through the earned income tax credit? Because I feel like a lot of people probably are not super aware of what that is. Yeah, sure. So the earned income tax credit is a federal tax credit that is dispersed every year. And unlike most government benefits, like let's say um, an EBT program for, for food subsidy, you actually just receive the credit when you file taxes. So you claim the earned income tax credit. You say, "I'm going." yes, I am eligible. You self-certify. And then there's an income level um, or an income limit. I believe it's something like in the 50,000 range for a married file and jointly couple, and it phases out. So the credit is higher the lower your income is. Um, it's, that's not perfectly true, but in general, the lower your income is, the higher the credit is. 
Um, and it can often be very large. It can be, you know, three, $5,000 of earned income tax credit. It escalates uh, higher and higher based on the number of children you have. So it is one of the single largest um, uh, social benefits programs that the U.S. has and is distributed through, as a, through tax filing as a means every year. Um, I think it's something like I mentioned 25 million Americans. It's like 50-ish billion dollars dispersed every year through credits. And for the folks that we serve, it's often it results in being the single largest check that our users see in a given year. And so it's a really critical part of the annual financial cycle and, and, and life that, that our, our users have. Um, so for folks that qualify, there are a couple of key things that end up coming into play. The first is how much income you earn. So becoming familiar with uh, how high the credit is depending on what you earn is super important. Specifically, you cannot be eligible for the credit if you earn $0. That's in the name earned income. So you, you need to earn some sort of income to be eligible. So I think all folks in that persona should be aware of, let's say there's a year where they're totally out of work. Is there a way some sort of means to get into the first bracket of being able to receive a credit that can be really large. Um, so earning income is number one for people that, in, that are in that persona. The second thing is, I think this is fairly, um, I'm not sure most folks know this, you can claim, you can file taxes for up to five years in the past. Um, and so as an individual, let's say you haven't filed taxes, but you were eligible for the earned income tax credit two years ago or the child tax credit two years ago, you should, you should go understand what could you be eligible for to receive a refund. Again, for folks we serve, that could be a, a very large refund in a very significant way. Um, so those are two things I think folks generally should be aware of is for earned income tax credit, you need to earn some amount. Um, so knowing getting, getting some sort of earnings, if, if possible, can lead to a really large tax refund or credit. And the second is back taxes. It's not just a compliance thing. Um, and I think the IRS is very clear about wanting to get these funds into the hands of people who need it most. Um, so those are two things within that persona. On the earned income tax credit, can that be in the form of both a W-2 and a 1099 earnings? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then question on the back taxes. Is there any kind of penalty or fee associated that would scare people off of not filing? So in general, I will address the general feeling first, which is there's, there is a lot of fear around the IRS and audits in general. And within the, the population that receives earned income tax credit, there's actually a much higher likelihood that you'll be audited if you file for an earned income tax credit than if you make, let's say, $200,000. So it is warranted, I would say. The audit rates are like they are higher within this population. Um, we can talk about reasons for why that is separately and whether that is the way the system should be. Um, and so the fear, I would say, is there and it is justified based on some of the things that happen. But in the case of back taxes, actually, the penalties largely center around if you owed money and you didn't pay it, you have escalated penalties. But in the case where the government owes you money, um, largely and in general, there are exceptions to this, I, I believe. Um, no, there are, uh, there are not ones that one should be uh, terribly afraid of. That is particularly interesting that there is a higher audit rate among that population, which seems completely backwards, but that is the government. Yes. And I think there are like, there are good and bad reasons for it. Like the good reasons are actually when you audit, there is a very large rate of misclaiming on the earned income tax credit. I would argue that is largely the result of the fact that the instructions are 45 pages. So like, of course, people <laughs> don't actually understand the eligibility perfectly. Um, that's a large one. And then also this is a really interesting 
um, thing that we've learned as we've gotten into this. It's something like 55% of most Americans use a paid preparer to file their taxes, but that's hmm. it's higher within the EITC population. And you see companies like a Jackson Hewitt or a Liberty Tax specifically focus on pre preparation for those um, individuals. And oftentimes, most often, those tax returns are prepared not by CPAs or not even by uh, EAs, which are uh, enrolled preparers. They're prepared by unenrolled individuals who just mm -hmm. do the tax return. And so a long way of saying uh, oftentimes there are errors on those because CPAs are not preparing them. It's untrained largely. And there's a lot of misclaiming. It's a very confusing credit. So um, it's not totally unwarranted, but in general, yes, I think uh, it is a little bit backwards as well. Yeah, I actually have a very good friend who during tax season, she volunteers and fills out tax forms for people of lower income, which is awesome, yeah. but obviously not a CPA, not her full time job. But still, it's a great way to help that population actually get it done. Great way. And the VITA uh, preparation program, which she I'm guessing she works with is a really great program. Um, and such a great service for, for individuals in this country. The problem is when you go to a, a big box store, or a box tax prep store get charged three hundred fifty dollars for that service, and oftentimes are sold into something like putting your refund on a debit card um, that doesn't actually go into your bank account and comes with hidden fees. That's when, to me, it's not like it's not serving the individuals. It's not serving the individual tax filer. Yeah, well, I guess let's get in a little bit to what you're building at Column Tax and kind of what you've discovered in terms of some of the more you know predatory practices uh, that are taking place today and how you're kind of trying to solve them. Yeah, so we at Column Tax we're building APIs and SDKs with a UI component to power year-round tax products and year-end filing native within any consumer finance app. So that is our focus as a company. We as I mentioned, are specifically focused on uh, low-income earners in this country and also freelancers and gig workers, which we've talked a little bit about as well. The Schedule C is a, a whole other beast uh, that, that we can get into. And what we've learned is a couple of the themes we've touched on. One, generally taxes are pretty overwhelming and confusing for most people in this country. Two, most people don't want to think about taxes they don't <laughs> like it's not the topic that's maybe why we're talking about it on the unsexy podcast like most people don't want to think about taxes they want to do they want to be in compliance they want to maximize their refund but generally they don't want to have to think about it um and the third is for so long tax has been disconnected from people's financial lives so once a year you go through the annual tradition of bringing together all your docs sometimes in TurboTax, sometimes with a cpa and then largely don't think about it because those services are standalone and not connected to the rest of your financial life. And so what we've learned is over the last 10 years in particular, so much of this has changed and consumer fintech and, and uh, consumer finance in general has brought together this data online, mobile and web first. And it's now an opportunity to bring tax into that same picture um, specifically for those populations to start. Um, so that's what we've been focused on. I remember when I first heard about what you were building at Column Tax, this is well over a year ago, I thought this was by far one of the most interesting use cases for embedded fintech. I think for the last few years, we've been hearing a lot about every product and every service is going to become a fintech product and service. And this embedded fintech of hiding it essentially in another product where you're taking advantage of the user base, this to me just felt like such a cool and interesting use case for that. We agree. We, we completely agree. And a lot of companies have built 
deep financial relationships with end users, often in the target populations we're talking about, they've done the work to establish the trust, uh, build the year-round relationship, and the incentives all align. They really, a lot of our partners really do want this service for their end users um, for a number of reasons. And so, yes, we agree. We think we think embedded is the way to go. It is a better world for tax um, if, if you can b- bring the pieces together. Um, so generally, we agree. Well, to your point before, most people don't want to think about this. So by embedding and obfuscating it, you can make it so that it's just in the background and it's happening and, you know, people don't have to deal with it. Right. Exactly. Can you walk through an actual example of one of your, you don't have to use the name, but one of your customers and kind of how this works in practice? Yeah, sure. Um, I mentioned Lance earlier. I think they're a great example. They're, They're a partner of ours and a great example of the new way this can work, like the way the world should be. And so today, if you, let, let's say you drive for Uber today, the way it works is you are on your own to figure out how the tax code works. And then you go to TurboTax once a year, you file. I mean, you'd have to, to pay for the TurboTax self-employment uh, product there. If you work with an app like Lance, and Lance is one of um, a handful of apps that are doing this today, you can link your accounts, be issued a debit card, and with Lance year-round track your deductions, um, things that are eligible for tax deductions at the end of the year. You can also make estimated payments, which is if you don't, oftentimes you'll you'll face fees, fines, or penalties when you go to file. And so an app like Lance can help you year-round monitor your tax situation, help you tax optimize, and uh, they have all the information. They basically generate a Schedule C for you at the end of the year. And for folks that aren't, aren't familiar, the Schedule C is... The document it is the form where you put on all of your incomes and income and deductions for an independent business working as an independent contractor. And so with Lance, they do all this for you. It's there. It is literally sitting there. Um, and then at the end of the year, you download the PDFs. You go to TurboTax. You re-upload them. Uh, you buy the TurboTax product. Uh, you leave probably confused. Um, and so it's that last piece. Like it's kind of a last mile piece that is not solved yet. And that's what we are going after. So we are trying to solve the last piece there around filing, along with a handful of year-round products that I can get into. But we're really focused on filing. And so what that means is, with Lance, we can now open up an API where they pass us all the information on the back end. We pre-fill out the return, goes onto the Schedule C within column tax. We're an authorized IRS provider, so we are the tax filer. We generate basically like a custom tax questionnaire for this individual. They go fill out the rest of the information we don't have. So like they tell us their filing status. They tell us how many kids that they have. We fill out the rest of that information. We pre-fill the the information from Lance and then we go file. That all happens within Lance. There's no other app. There's no way to get upsold. We don't have upsells in our product. And it's a fully contained tax world within Lance. And so it's more affordable. it's embedded, it's connected to the rest of your financial life, and it's all contained within an app that has your information. And when you work with a company like Lance, is this getting rolled out to all of their customers as part of Lance's offering, or is this something where people can opt in and choose to have this as their tax filing? Great question. Um, we, we're starting with select states. Um, and so starting for select states for, for folks that use Lance, um, yes. And our partners, I'll actually speak less about them individually, each partner decides how they want to offer this to their end users. So some of our partners offer it for free. Uh, they want to capture the tax refund. They want it uh, to go into the, their checking account. And so they offer this for free and they monetize on, on interchange and in other ways. 
uh, other partners included in a premium tier, and then others price it directly to their end users. Um, so it's kind of up to our partner. We are we want to make our partners look great, and we want to fit into whatever app offering they naturally have. And so we flex depending on that. So you you mentioned Lands, which is a great example for gig workers, Uber drivers in particular, that's been optimized for them on the, the financial planning side. What are some other good use cases for column tax of where this makes sense? Yeah, there are there are a couple. So Lance is an example of freelancers, gig workers. The other we've talked about is earned income tax credit uh, recipients. So for example, we, we work with a partner that helps it give you... Uh, and lend ahead of your earned income tax credit and then recoup okay. it as a part of filing, which okay. we think is a much friendlier way uh, than going to, let's say, the corner loan uh, person. And so we think they're building an amazing product. Um, so you have earned income tax recipients, and then you could build new products on top of that. Lending is an example of that. Um, the freelance gig workers we've talked about. The other one is consumer neobanks um, and consumer banks in general. There are lots of folks that now use banks on their phone. And so for them, it's a really great offering to be able to offer tax filing. It could be as a carrot for hooking up direct deposit. Um, it could be free if you put your tax refund into the checking account. It could just be free and then it's an increased retention play for them. And so that's the third uh, group that we work a lot with is consumer finance apps that actually want to have, have a tax filing offering uh, native within the app. The neobank side makes tons of sense to me, just given they want to be a holistic platform for everything financially related for their customers. And this is a piece that's clearly lacking. Right. And one of our first products, we, we're, we've worked on a, a handful of products. One of our first products was called Tax Refund Unlock. And that was really focused on helping people optimize withholdings, which is an example of a year-round thing you can do on top of filing. We worked with Yada and Clover, um, who, who are good examples of that, that have mobile-first relationships with a number of large users or a large number of users and are looking to bring that information in and, and power more experiences within their app. One of the questions I had is around the cyclical nature of taxes. So you just addressed it a little bit in the fact that withholdings, estimated payments, things like that. Estimated payments is actually one where I still don't think I fully understand. <laughs> so explain what is estimated payments, who should be making them, and what is the reason you would or wouldn't? Yes. So this comes back to the different types of income that exist. For If, if you receive a paycheck, so you get a W-2 at the end of the year, federal withholdings are taken out. So if you get paid, let's say, $100 uh, on a W-2, your employer calculates how much should be taken out using the W-4, which is the form, and they take $10 out, let's say, and send it to the IRS. And that's basically your tax payment off of the income that you receive. This is only true for that type of income. It's not true for 1099 income. So two examples of where you have to make estimated payments. If you drive for Uber and they pay you as an independent contractor, no taxes is taken out. And the reason for that is you can deduct expenses and then you pay the taxes. So let's say you make $100 on Uber. At the end of the year, when you go to file, the government is going to ask you for those $10 and those show up on your return. So the actual system uh, that is in place is you should go pay that $10 in, as a quarterly payment. So let's say you make it in March. The expectation is that you pay that $10 in April. Um, not, not with the filing that's, for, um, that, that's separate. The other way that you'll see this is let's say you have a large windfall from, uh, from selling stocks 
there are not taxes taken out of the capital gain. Uh, and so you actually have to go make the estimated payment. Let's say you had a really good windfall, you made $100,000. You have to go make the estimated payment for how much you think you owe on taxes as a part of that quarterly payment, or you will owe it in the fall. And there are penalties if you do not pay uh, your quarterly payments on time. So in that last example, if you don't pay it as the estimated quarterly tax, but you pay it with your entire tax return, is it just that you have to pay more? Or they said, hey, this happened in a different quarter, therefore you were responsible for the payment then? You have to pay, there's a fine uh, for not paying Hmm. as a part of quarterly. I don't, uh, it depends and ratchets up. It's like a, there's, there's a scale that comes with it. But yes, if you if you don't pay, let's say it was due in Q2, it's basically like you basically have to pay interest on it. You pay it as a fine, but you pay interest because you didn't give the government your money, uh, the money that they were owed at the time they were owed it. So they effectively charge you interest on that uh, by holding it until the filing time. It comes in the form of a fee. Interesting. I didn't know that. And let's say uh, if somebody is just a W-2 and that is their entire income and that is all they're paying taxes on, no need. Is that correct? That's right. And well, it it depends on if you got your withholdings tuned correctly, which is a separate problem. (laughs) Um, But yes, assuming assuming we have an accurate W-4, withholdings are correct, then yes. And then there is, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but there is some amount of grace as in like, if you have some amount of earnings, you don't have to pay estimated payments on the first X amount. And then there's also a forgiveness. This is now pushing my uh, knowledge off the top of my head. There's a forgiveness based on your prior year income. There's like a ceiling on how much the uh, estimated payment can be. And we have now reached the edge of my um, my tax knowledge <laughs> off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm sure you could keep going down that rabbit hole if you wanted to read 300 pages of docs. Ask your local CPA. One um, one question I have, and this isn't your target demographic, so feel free to just say not my area of expertise, but I know that there are a ton of very weird loopholes for people who are very high net worth and people take advantage of that. Are there any that you've discovered that you're like, wow, that is both interesting and kind of weird? Um, It is not our focus area as a company. I think there's there's been a lot of debate about QSBS recently um, and whether like the benefits of those kinds of programs. I think that one's really interesting. I think also the reason I like the debate around QSBS is generally, I think it's good to ask the question of what tax credits and deductions are uh, leading to what results. So like, what are we trying to do by offering this and and are we seeing it in practice? Um, So I think QSBS is just an interesting one in general. Like, are you seeing more people start businesses because they're aware of this or are you seeing individuals Uh, just taking advantage of the benefits that already would have started a business and are able to hire a smart accountant. Um, So I think that one's interesting. For those who aren't aware, it's qualified small business stock. And uh, that's an area that we think a lot about too, investing in early, early stage companies, because there's very different tax treatment for founders uh, when you are under a certain cap. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Are there any other areas, uh, if if you weren't building column tax for the exact use case that you're doing today, are there any other areas you feel like are ripe for disruption in the tax space? Oh, so many. And many I get excited (laughs) about. Um, I think of column tax as our our mission or our our vision, um, maybe instead vision is to build, be the API that powers every income tax calculation in this country. We are starting with a really clear focus on those two personas, but over time we we intend to build into uh, many more use cases given the wide array of problems that we've talked about. So the ones that excite me from a these problems, someone should solve these problems are 
there's a lot around year round for investing that's really interesting. It is, I find it fascinating that most people in, in the country don't know whether they're up or down on capital gains until they file, right? Like you kind of find out <laughs> yes. when you upload your 1099 into TurboTax. Um, that should be solved. Like you should know pre-trade what the tax implications of the trade are. And you should know at any given point where you stand on capital gains. So that's one that I think is really interesting and really uh, acutely painful and should be an embedded solution. I don't think you should have to go to a third party app for that. Um, another one is understanding the tax implications of life events. Like let's say buying a house or, or having a kid totally changes your tax situation. I think there should be real-time visibility for everyone on what will happen if I do X or Y? Not not because it will necessarily change your decision. Um, I think you should have kids uh, for your own reasons, not for tax reasons. But you should know how it will impact. And so that comes back to the visibility problem. And uh, like tax estimates, I think, is another really interesting one at all levels of income. Yeah, I completely agree. It catches me off guard every year. I'm like, why did my taxes change so much? I don't think my life right. changed that much. Or my life didn't. I did just have a kid this year. So I'm like, what did that do? Oh my God. Right. And don't you want, don't you want the waterfall? That's like, here are your taxes last year. Here was the diff. Here's the Delta. It's the, it's the slide that you would show on any business review. Like here yes. was the baseline. Here's what changed. Here's the new. And we can explain it, it, tax is a very logical system. It is the, it is the, com the complexity comes in the breadth and both at breadth and depth, but it's all explainable. We can build the waterfall. It's just purely a, data and visualization uh, thing. And so, yeah, like you should know, like what changed in my taxes? What happened? What can I do differently? Can I do something differently now? Did I do something wrong? Um, yes. All of these are things that we can answer with data. And please explain it to me in language that I can understand. Right, right, right. And you shouldn't have to have a master's um, to understand it. Exactly. Well, Gavin, the last question I always like to ask is, has there been any piece of advice or wisdom that you've been given in your life that really sticks with you and are words you live by? I'll lean on advice that I've gotten recently from, and actually from multiple founders. So I won't, um, I won't be able to attribute, attribute it to an individual, but I feel like the best advice I've gotten recently, specifically about company building has been investing and being really, really thoughtful about the first team members that you hire um, and being really thoughtful specifically about the culture that you're building at a company. And so we've definitely taken that to heart at Column Tax and it's been, it's been more true than I could even imagine. The, the people that you hire early set the tone and uh, they set everything at the company. And so that's been a really good experience uh, going through the hiring process been really good advice and has been fruitful for us. Um, like really, really being thoughtful about the first people that you hire. I pay dividends. I will plus 100 that. And I think it's even more important if you're going to be a remote team. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Well, if people want to learn more about you or Column Tax, where should I point them? Come to columntax.com. Reach out to me directly. I'm Gavin at Column Tax. I would love to meet anybody that wants to talk about tax. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Gavin. I personally learned a ton and uh, excited to watch you guys grow. Yeah, same here. Great chatting.